So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. You know, Graham, I've got to take you to task here because you, know, you have an issue with people like Piers Morgan, which, you know, I can sympathize with. I'd run him over. Right? As but well. Tom Hanks has done nothing to you. You can just avoid him. He's done nothing. He's done. He's just a nice guy. Is he a nice maybe guy? Maybe that's what threatens you. Is he? I don't know. Smashing Security, Episode 342, Royal Family Attacked, Keyless Cuff Theft, and a Deep Fake Tom Hanks, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cooley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 342. My name's Graham Cooley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, we are joined this week by a special guest, someone who's been on the show many, 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 many times before. It is, of course, the one, the only, Maria Vamazis. Hi. Uh, I'm glad you had to say it in an approximate <laughs> Greek accent, I think. <laughs> that was very nice. I liked it. Hi. Yasas. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's been a while. Yes. Welcome back. Thank you. The badass space bitch has returned. <laughs> Are you, do you have a t-shirt with that? No, I should, though. Yeah, I really definitely. should. I like <laughs> that, that. That feels right. Not just a space bitch, but also you, well, both of you, actually, have been pickling some stickies lately, haven't you? you that's... <laughs> Uh, your other podcast is back in town. Yeah, sticky flipping pickles, sticky pickles. Yep. Just in case people are trying to Google what it is, <laughs> it's called sticky pickles. It is back. It is back. It is back indefinitely, it, and it's great <laughs> fun. So it's not security related necessarily. Definitely, which is the most important. Better thing. not be. Better yeah. not be on sticky pickles. Although, <laughs> should we Hello. kick the show off, people? <laughs> Actually, first, maybe we should thank this week's wonderful sponsors, Gigamon, Devo, and Hunters. It's their support that helped us give you this show for free. Now, coming up in today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to be going deep, deep into threat actors. Oh, okay. What about you, Maria? Um, a PSA on car hacking. <laughs> a PSA on car hacking. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, I'll be looking at a royal mess. Plus, we have a featured interview with Devo's very own CISO. I love how that sounds. Kayla Williams. And we're going to talk about all things SOC with security analytics platform Devo. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security.
Now, chums, chums, what is the worst Christmas movie of all time, in your humble opinion? The worst. The worst. You don't really remember the worst. Oh, I do. There are a lot of bad ones. Okay, a come lot. on, name one, name one, name one. <laughs> I was going to say The Snowman, but <laughs> I actually really love that film. <laughs> yeah, I like The Snowman. Um, I think if there were anything with the chipmunks, I would not be a fan. <laughs> yeah, the chip, anything chipmunks. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Wasn't there a Star Wars holiday special as well or something? One doesn't talk about the Star Wars holiday nope, special. We don't, it, don't no, we don't talk about it. The actual answer is the Polar Express. Oh, stop. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. I, yep. I'm with you on that, actually. <laughs> Why? That movie's awful. Guys, oh. I've seen it. It was all right. Well, was it all right? Ooh. Was it all right? Everybody's kind of rubbery and gumby-like. Yes, Weird. exactly. Oh, Maria, absolutely correct. Came out in 2004, directed by Robert Zemeckis, who also did the Back to the Future movies, which we like. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. like Back yeah. to Polar yeah. Express. Yeah. Polar Express was this computer animated fantasy movie about this kid making a magical train journey to the North Pole to meet Father Christmas. And what makes it bad is the uncanny valley. Mm. It's a grotesque horror is the reality about the Polar Express (laughs) because you're going to give kids nightmares if they watch. In fact, as an adult, it's going to give you the creeps because you're watching this dead-eyed animated train conductor with the voice of Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's right. creepy. It's creepy. <laughs> I, I have seen this. I don't remember it. I wouldn't say it's a great film or anything like that. But Your uh, mind blocked it out. The trauma yeah. just said no. It is traumatic. Tom Hanks, he earned $40 million. That's all? For No, it Poor wasn't man. all. He earned $40 million <laughs> for providing the voice of various characters in the movie. And he also said, you know what? I want an extra 20% of the gross takings. Smart man. In all, I think this is the way he often does it, actually. He takes a lump sum, but also gets some more as well, if, it, if it's a success. Mm-hmm. Tom, you may want to come on Smashing Security, because we we get paid a lot better than that over here. Oh, yeah. Shine. Lot, oh, lot easy, easy, easy. Easy, easy. <laughs> yep. He earned, in total, over $100 million for that movie and there's been plenty of other movies where he's done the same as well and man that movie I, just for doing a bit of voice work just for you know doing a bit you know, and he, he's kind of shouty in the movie too is that my imagination I remember him being like very shouty and I, I was sort of like it. yo Tom Hanks just like back off yeah I, was I don't know I say Graham did not research the story properly by watching the film I assure you of that I, I have seen part of the movie before then I realised it was Tom Hanks and turned it off <laughs> and that's my general <laughs> approach <laughs> Yeah, you have a Tom, yeah. I've got a Tom problem. You're not a fan of Tom Hanks, of America's Uncle. No, I'm not a fan of Tom Hanks, no. I I have a problem. I have have some kind of some kind of problem, frankly, when it comes to Tom Hanks. There's something which just simply stops. Do you hate Cary Grant as well? No. Okay. Cary Grant's great. Okay. Jimmy Stewart, wonderful. He's all right? All right? Yeah, yeah, I love them. Love them. Anyway, so you would Hmm. think... After Tom Hanks earned all that money from the Polar Express, that he'd be absolutely fine with people creating animated versions of himself. But no, he's not happy. He's not happy. He's a big grumpy. He's a grumpy man (laughs) sitting on top of hundreds of millions of dollars. Tell me how he feels, because you're closest to him in terms of that. I am. I am. In terms of age. (laughs) And also, you know, deportment. Deportment. (laughs) Right. <laughs> you look the most of Tom Hanks of the three of us. How how dare you? 
<laughs> there's something about Tom Hanks. I'm sorry if there are any Tom Hanks fans out there. Yeah, there's not going to be one in the thousands and thousands and thousands of <laughs> listeners we have. There's, there's not one. something about him. I don't want to. I don't want to encourage violence. Especially against someone okay, who Trump. some people would, but but, <laughs> but wow, shit just got real. All right. <laughs> anyway, Tom Hanks has just warned his nine and a half million Instagram followers. Who's doing that? Who's following Tom Hanks on Instagram? I'm I have sure to wonder. But anyway, of people are people follow Apparently you. Apparently, nine point five million people. Yeah. Are. How many do you have on Instagram? Not as many as 9.5 million. Not as many. It's very generous. (laughs) It's comparable. Tom Hanks (laughs) has told everyone, "Uh, uh, uh," he says, "There's you may have seen an advert which is using my face, but it's not me who's promoting this dental plan, he says. There's a video out there promoting some kind of dental plan, he says. Dental plan. They are using an AI version of me. And he says, I've got nothing to do with it. He does have nice chompers, though. He'd probably been getting 20% of the proceeds, I expect. That's what he's grumpy about. Anyway, so (laughs) Tom Hanks, despite appearing in the Polar Express and ruining many children's Christmas and some adults as well. Some other parents. Yes, yes, yep. I'm sorry, listeners. He's got an issue of this. And it's not the first time he's had a bit of a whinge about the wonder of artificial intelligence. Earlier this year... He was on the Adam Buxton podcast. I quite like Adam Buxton. I don't know what Tom, why he invited Tom Hanks on. But anyway, he was on the Adam Buxton podcast and he said uh, that AI could be used to extend the careers of actors. Here's what Tom Hanks said. I can't do a Tom Hanks impression. Thank God. You could use AI for this. Though. Yeah, you need some acting <laughs> skills to be able to do that. <laughs> Anybody can now recreate themselves at any age they are by way of AI or deep fake technology, he said. I could be hit by a bus tomorrow and that's it. But performances can go on and on and on and on. And I thought... That's not exactly an endorsement of AI. No, no I don't exactly. think it was meant as one. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a terrible thought. The thought that his performances could go on and on and on and on. Even if I do get a job as a bus driver and one day run him over. You know, Graham, I've oh got to God. take you to task here because you, <laughs> you have an issue with people like Piers Morgan, which, you know, I can sympathise with. I'd run him over. Right? But well. Tom Hanks has done nothing to you. You can just avoid him. He's done nothing. He's done. He's just a nice guy. Is he a nice guy? And maybe guy? that's what threatens you. Is he? I don't know. It's a bit like saying he's... <laughs> A nice guy. I don't know. No, I mean, a lot of. I don't think she. I'm not sure. Is she or isn't she? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. In this, in this kind of new reality we live in, I just don't know. I don't know what to believe anymore. All I know, he's a deep fake all the way down. So all it's, his, his fakery goes deep, is what I'm saying. Because no, I saw his Oscar acceptance speech all those years ago when he gets all emotional, a bit like Gwyneth Paltrow. And I think, oh, come on, this is just too... Was this for Philadelphia? I can't remember. That that cheery, cheery movie about AIDS? (laughs) (laughs) Look, don't make me feel bad because it was a worthy movie. I think you just need to step off a little bit. It's just a little bit too too cray-cray. Let's move on from Tom Hanks. Let's go on. Let's do that. To Robin Williams. Now... You better not have a problem with Robin Williams. Just saying. uh, Okay, look, listen. Zelda Williams, who's the daughter of Robin Williams, she's posted on Instagram in the last week that deepfakes are, at their very best, a poor facsimile of greater people. And she says, at worst, they are a horrendous Frankensteinian monster 
cobbled, I think she could just say Frankenstein monster, cobbled together from the worst <laughs> bits of everything this industry is. And I thought, hmm, interesting. The worst bits of the movie industry. That would be things like flubber. I expect from Robin Williams and some Listen, of those. Listen, the man's awful... dead. Can you leave him alone? Yes. Well, no. <laughs> he was he was funnier than you. I'm sorry, but uh... everybody has flops. It happens. Yeah. So there's lots of stars, as we know, who are getting upset about the use of AI and deep fakery. Last month, there were reports. Um, I think the Telegraph reported that um, Bruce Willis had sold his face. Um, not like Nicolas Cage and uh, John Travolta swapped face faces off. back in Face <laughs> Off. But apparently they, they reported that Bruce Willis had sold his face to a deep fake company called Deep Cake, which is wow. a great name. And that's really hard because he's not well, right? Well, he's yes, not right. well. No. Anyway, it's been denied. Apparently Bruce hasn't sold his face. Um, so, so that's good. But he has recently done a, an advert with Deep Cake which uses a deep fake for him for a Russian telecoms company. So he is doing a bit of acting, as it were, without actually having to do anything because they're just using the big... J- James L. Jones, the great James L. Jones. Oh, we like the guy We behind... like this guy. Okay. We, we like him because he did Darth Vader's voice. <laughs> yes. Apparently he's retired now, but they're using tech to keep doing Vader's voice alive and making him sound younger because he obviously is... Did you see him in that episode of The Big Bang Theory, Mm-mm. James L. Jones? Anyway, was... No. no. Okay, yeah, didn't miss much. <laughs> no. um, so what's clear is that actors really care about this, right? Tom Hanks, who's the governor, he's the godfather, he cares about this. And the current Screen Actors Guild strike, that is in part, not entirely, but in part about the dangers of new technologies like AI, digital recreation, leaving them out of pocket. And I have sympathy for that. I have sympathy for that because all of us potentially... If there were, for instance, 342 hours worth of me just prattling away into a microphone, or maybe you, Carol, as well. I don't prattle. Who would listen to that, though? Honestly. Who would? would? (laughs) They could potentially (laughs) create new content, and that could be used to, you know, make all kinds of money for dental plans and things like this. What sucks? So I wonder... Can I just say, so I can just interrupt for a sec, but what I think really sucks about this is, okay, so there's some people out there doing deep fakes that are not approved, right? And then people... But the way in which you handle it right now is by having to get involved in the foray and actually call attention to it and say, you know that thing that you might have seen, but maybe you didn't, but you might go look for it now, but it's not me, but it looks like me, but it's not me. Just letting you know. And that means the media are then going to write about it, if you're famous, like Tom Hanks. And you then cover it on the show. Yeah. It, it, exactly. And people will replay that, I don't know, fake dental ad or whatever it is that uses the AI, giving that particular promotion even more oxygen. Right. It's the Streisand effect. Thank you very um, much, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> no one could fake. No one could fake Barbara Streisand. I'm sure someone has tried. The- I love Barbara. <laughs> you hate Tom, but you love Barbara. Okay. I mean, Barbara's great. Don't, don't get me wrong. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a consent issue, is it not? I mean, really. If don't Bruce you Willis your said, face? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, right. It's just like a basic thing. Like, if, if you say it's okay for you to do it for this one instance, then fine. But if you do it without the other person's permission, like, you're just stealing someone's essence. essence. I mean, it's you're putting words in their mouth. Like, literally, you're making their fake mouth say the fake words. 
Yeah. Who, who wants that? Nobody. I mean, that's just creepy. You got your AI hand up their butt and making them spout out garbage like a little puppet. <laughs> that's what you're doing. It sucks. Beyond the Black Mirror episode. My God, it's <laughs> creepy beyond all hell. It's yeah. gross. So I'm not sure what the answer is to this, but obviously AI and deepfakes, lots of people are talking about it. So there will be technology companies who are now claiming that they've got the solution. I've seen companies saying what we need to do is proactively tag real genuine content. Yeah. Probably involved yeah. in the blockchain, I'm guessing, as well. Uh, <laughs> and introduce that uh, in some way. Oh, boy. That's okay. Yep. Maybe. Or maybe the, the, the things which generate deep fake, they could embed some sort of signature. But again, people are going to get around <laughs> this. Aren't they? I can't see how this is going to. Simply detecting it after the fact isn't going to be strong enough because uh, deep fakes are going to get more and more convincing and. and I, I know obvious. some chip makers are working on that, like having real time deep fake and uh, like AI video detection capabilities. It's a thing that many of them are trying to do mm -hmm. for this reason. But I'm I'm just thinking <laughs> I'm going to flip the coin because I completely understand why the actors don't want this. And I wouldn't want it yes. either. No. I'm thinking of a situation where um, there's this <laughs> there's this podcast I listen to sometimes called Dudesy where it's two comedians, I'm not going to bother naming them because either you know or you don't, that use AI and they're very explicit about the fact that they are using AI to write these crazy episodes that they are sort of reacting to. And they actually had AI Tom Hanks, video and audio of AI Tom Hanks saying this 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 crazy pitch for uh, a fake movie, like Ghost Train right. or something really ridiculous. And it it's hilarious because it's like, it's obviously a fake version of Tom Hanks. Like they're they're, they're very upfront about the fact like hey hmm. this is fake this is not real this is ai and for that it's really funny um but if it were and, you like, like if it were my face being used without my consent to do something super funny in my voice that i didn't we say, would be able to detect it was a deep fake in your case so <laughs> if it was being really funny <laughs> wow i think oh, damn. <laughs> i know and he, i'm in the I mean, same tom camp hanks i think as tom hanks at the moment yeah uh, <laughs> he's so famous people have been doing this since before ai you know impressions no, no, and, and and granted yeah. he got 40 million right for a job that uh i'm sure is easier than you know packing fruit every day you know for 12 hours every day so <laughs> those so, are your only options no, I'm just saying it's a lot of money. <laughs> Don't you think it's a, it's a, it's a sexy amount of change for, for the work? Does that mean we own him completely? That's the, Correct. That's the question. No. Yeah. No, 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 definitely not. So yeah, it is a consent thing in the, in the end, but I'm just thinking of that random podcast where I'm like, they are making sure everyone knows that it's fake, but it is an AI version of him. So I don't know. Does that make it okay? Mm. I, w I want to know what, what, Dental company chooses Tom Hanks. He's got great Nashers. We talked about Has that. Has he? Yes. The best Hollywood can buy. See this Instagram thing. Uh, it do it looks like him from 30 years ago, though. Oh, yeah. They de-aged him as they well. They de-aged probably... him. <laughs> that's, just, that's almost weirder. It's like, where did this come from? And I love that he has to go, hey, guys, that's not me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't record this dental plan ad when the internet didn't exist. <laughs> Maria, what's your story for us this week? Uh, well, mine is a bit of a PSA or a public service announcement for our listeners today about a thing that I didn't really know existed mm. or didn't take terribly seriously. So 
I'll start, I'll sort of walk you through my, <laughs> my thought process on this. So what do you both think of when you hear the phrase car hacking? Oh, normally I, I imagine um, Charlie Miller maybe hacking into a, a vehicle as it goes down the highway and hijacking its radio or its steering or something like that. It's, it's something a little bit something James like Bond. that. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Something maybe with Wi-Fi or something like that. What mm-hmm. about you, Carol? Yeah. No, I don't know a lot because I have an old car, right? So I just don't really know a lot about modern fangled stuff. Carol's got an old car, so it's got a crank at the front and a man running in front of it with a red flag. <laughs> And every 30 feet, you have to get out and recrank it. Oh, <laughs> uh, so When I was hearing the phrase car hacking, I was thinking it was something basically Wi-Fi enabled cars or Graham, sort of along the lines of what you were saying. Um, but I, I, was seeing, I saw something on X, formerly known as Twitter, um, and it showed a video of a car being stolen from someone's driveway. And it, it took just moments. And I was sort of like, what the heck is going on here? So I wanted to read up about it. Um, so it basically, the one form of car hacking that's really on the rise has been over the past few years. It involves keyless entry systems. So like those little oh, yes. key fobs. And Carl, you sort of mentioned this. Mm-hmm. Um, so since you don't have a newer car, I don't know if you know how these work. No, no, explain it to me. <laughs> explain it to me. I'm yeah, going to, no, I'm going to yeah. lady explain it a little bit. So the, the, the new, um, keyless entry systems that cars have, where you basically don't need to take your key out of your pocket or your purse or whatever. You just walk up to your car, press a little button, and the car unlocks mm-hmm. just by yeah. being in proximity to your car with the key. Well, attackers figured out that's a kind of nifty little attack surface, and maybe we can use that to our advantage to steal a car. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, the car and those little keyless entry system key fobs are always talking to each other. Like you, they're, Even when you're not pressing a button, they're still sort of like in communication with each other. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah, they're checking for each other all the time. Mm-hmm. So, okay, second question for you both. Where do you keep your car keys? Well. <laughs> I need my car keys because I want in to steal to them right the away. Car, right? <laughs> That's how old school I am. So, Maria, <laughs> I haven't had my car stolen like this. My ex-wife has had her car stolen <gasps> through this method. Oh, my God. <laughs> and as a result, I keep my car keys in a little box, which is... Basically, a Faraday cage doesn't oh, allow goodness. the device to communicate with the outside world because th- this is a genuine, really serious problem. It, it, so I, I always it put is. my car keys in one of those. I I didn't know wow. this was a thing. And so essentially, so I'm going to be telling you stuff that you already know, but maybe our listeners don't know. That's right. I'll act dumb. I'll pretend yeah, I don't. No, you pretend you didn't color. know about any of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, it's keyless car theft or relay attacks is apparently the more formal name. There's a couple different mm-hmm. names for this. It's becoming very popular, very popular way to steal cars. Um, and apparently in the UK, it's especially popular. So I was noticing that when I was doing the research on this. It seems in the UK, this is happening a lot. Yes. The UK National Police Chiefs Council says it's been on the rise last several years. They've been doing a lot of studies about it. Less is known in the US. Essentially, the car manufacturers know it's a thing. But I don't think anyone's tracking it aside from like AAA. But I couldn't find any numbers. Maybe listeners will find it. But essentially, if you keep your car key- keys on a hook near your front door or maybe in, on a hook near your garage or like on a table near a door or an external wall, um, that can sort of be a way for a car thief to sort of hijack the signal. It's an easy way for them to hijack the signal because the key is so close to where they are standing. So mm. let me let me walk you through how the attack actually works because this 
it's kind of fun to look at. Not so fun to be the receiving end of it, though. <laughs> um, they use this thing called like a frame antenna, and it's super basic. It looks kind of like a square coat hanger. And they, the criminal stands outside your front door where they think your key is. In many cases, it's a good bet. And they nab the signal from the car key fob that's continuously talking to the car. And then they've got a second friend who's standing near the car holding a portable device. And then that second friend can then receive the signal from the first guy, unlock the car, and then use that device to start the ignition and drive the car away. That's exactly it. Yeah. So there's no smash glass left on your driveway the next morning. There's no car alarms to go off. Like, all you know when you wake up next morning is your keys are exactly where you left them. You had definitely locked your car, uh, but your car is just gone. And then everyone's like, <laughs> did you really lock your car? Are you yeah. sure? And you're like, I'm so 100% sure. Yep. You, and you call the police and they ask you that question and they're like, well, there's no evidence of a crime or whatever. And you're just like, what the hell is going on here? Right, Graham? That's how you guys felt, I'm guessing. <laughs> Yeah, I, it didn't happen on my watch, can I stress? Uh, but uh, so <laughs> happened to my ex-wife. Um, but but obviously, you know, she she was very shocked by by what happened. And it is so easy to do. And it is very common, at least here in the UK, it is. Mm. Um, and people are typically stealing cars to order or high value cars. So she yes. has quite an expensive car, uh, yep. which is what, what they stole. And it is as though... Someone has walked up to a car with the keys in their pocket because it's exactly. relaying the signal from the key, which is still inside your house when it happens. And that's why I keep my key in one of these little special boxes to. Uh, Would you buy it online it or something? Working. You can buy you can buy them online or you can buy them at shops, and you can test that they actually work because you can put your keys inside the box, then walk up to your car with the box, and. If your car won't open until you open the box, then you know that the box works. Ah. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good way to test it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. because the apparently earlier this year on everyone's favorite social media channel, uh, TikTok, uh, there was a viral car theft challenge. Oh, my te- goodness. Teaching people how to actually steal cars with this relay attack method. Uh, and if you want to buy the kit online for basically the frame antenna, it's like 80 pounds, like 100 bucks, right? So not expensive, um, and the range that these antenna can usually pick up the key fobs from is like five to 20 meters. So Whoa. it's actually, that's, that's more than I would have thought. Um, so I, I was yeah. thinking like, man, even if your key's not by the front door. It's like, yeah, it's like 60 feet. Yeah. Your keys can be pretty far into your house and they could potentially find the, yeah. the signal. Um, and the UK car security company tracker said 92% of cars that recovered last year were taken without using the keys. So I'm not saying it's all with this attack. But this is the problem with this country because very few villages have driveways, right? Their houses are right on the roads with a tiny front garden. So we're like, no wonder it's going ripe here. Like in the States, at least, a lot of people live in the, you know, have a bit of front lawn to give them some distance. Well, people just walk up to people's cars and driveways, even in the U.S. Like I've seen videos of it here. Like they'll just walk up at night when people are sleeping. I think the real problem here is the car companies. Because why do we have this keyless entry to vehicles? Why, why, when I walk up to my car, if I've got my keys in my pocket, why does my car start to unlock and expect me just to press a button? Why shouldn't, why isn't it that I have to press a button on the actual key for it to send the signal 
to communicate with the car to unlock it. Well, that's how it worked with when my car was alive and remains alive. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can... <laughs> with your car, it, absolutely. But what they've done is they've introduced this feature, and there's no way to turn the bloody thing off because I, for right. security reasons, would like to turn that off in my car so that I don't have keyless entry. I want to be have to press the button or something. And they have no other option. They don't have a dumb option. No, no, and uh, <laughs> and the and for several years now, because apparently this this started really becoming an issue at the beginning of the pandemic, and it's only gotten worse. Mm. Apparently, um, so, several trade groups have written to the car manufacturers, and they've responded. The manufacturers saying, like, we're aware of the issue, and haven't really promised any action necessarily. As, yeah. Although, as far as I know, Ford has said that its newer models are going to have the option to put the car into sleep mode, so essentially to toggle this off. But it sounds like it's it's not always off. I don't know. I don't really understand what the sleep mode necessarily, like how mm-hmm. sustained that is. But it is an option. But a lot of the other ones are kind of like, well, the convenience of being able to unlock your car easily without having to rustle your things out of your bag is worth it for our customers. So, um, mm-hmm. so when I was trying to figure out what I should do about this, because my cars are very close to the front of my house. I live in a small house, small driveway, um, 20 meters. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> not, yeah. That's basically the extent of my home. So anywhere I put a key is not going to be terribly safe. Um, I was reading the suggestions online. Some people were saying, like, put it in a Mylar bag, which I don't think Mylar is really the solution there, but maybe people are like, it's shiny. So that will do it. Um, a lot of preppers really love wrapping things in tinfoil as like their favorite Faraday cage, like, <laughs> or lining um, um, a shoebox with tinfoil completely. I've heard that as like a homemade Faraday cage in the prepper community. I always thought that was funny, but that doesn't really work either. Um, another suggestion was to put your car keys in the refrigerator. Oh, that's not, that's not dumb, actually. <laughs> it's not. I'm just, I would that's never, I, I would forget they're in there. I'd be like, it's next to the lettuce. Yeah, and like, then oh, you geez. have to pick them up. <laughs> cold, 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 cold. Yeah, cold keys. Everybody's favorite. Especially winter. Or, um, my favorite is put it in a cookie tin, <laughs> a little metal cookie tin, um, which is, historically was what grandmothers would put sewing supplies in. <laughs> so I'm just like imagining like kids looking at the cookie tin and going, oh, there's cookies. And instead of out being the, sewing supplies. Yeah, an old, an old dictionary. You could dig out the metal and uh, you can do that. Is, is that going to stop? No, I mean, that's the thing. Not. Whatever you choose, yeah. you've got to test that it properly works. Yep. And also, you've got to make it easy enough that you don't have to always remember, oh, I've got to get into some more tinfoil and wrap it up because you won't. So <laughs> you I think won't. just buy yourself a little box and put it yep. somewhere convenient and that, just make it a habit of always putting your key in there. Good advice. Yeah, they sell Faraday pouches or wallets that you can use. So they're yeah. they're available. Um, but you can also just keep, if you have a larger property, I suppose you could keep your car keys away from a front door, especially if your front door is near your car. I don't know if that'll actually help, but that is an option. Let the air out of your tires, maybe. There'd be another suggestion. I've actually read suggestions of literally putting like the a metal boot on on your <laughs> on your car when you park it. Oh, clamp it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. clamp, yes. yeah, yeah like literally just <laughs> make it impossible. Not inconvenient to drive. at all. Not inconvenient. I used to have like a wheel clamp, like a steering wheel clamp. It was a massive yes. thing. Oh, the club. Yeah. And <laughs> yes. I cuz like uh, yeah, I got I had like a kind of a little fast nippy car for a little while. And uh, yeah. Anyway, it was a pain in the ass to use, but no one stole it. I like you know, I did use it all the time. I, I also had a club in the nineties. I had I drove a little shit yeah. box, and that was the only way it never got exactly. stolen. I, yep, yeah. yep. Well, FYI for for listeners, I didn't know about any of this, so um, and I hope it helps somebody not get their car. Great get, story, Marina. not have their car get stolen. That is a terrific PSA. Mm-hmm. Well done. I thought you were Thank talking you. about a prostate exam. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
That, when she said, that's what I did. That's why I was all confused at the beginning when she gave her title. PSA, she said PSA on that. And I'm like, service what do prostates have to do with anything? The show's insane. It's, no, it's just me. <laughs> that feels like a challenge for next time I'm on. I have to make a prostate related story. I'm not doing that, though. <laughs> Carole. What's your story for us this week? Uh, Do you remember, of course you will remember, the old days when we used to talk about DOS attacks or denial of service attacks or distributed denial of service attacks. And this is typically when an unauthorized third party or a baddie uh, dings a website over and over and over and over again, uh, you know, effectively flooding the server uh, so it can't deliver actual content to actual visitors. Yes. Graham, I think you had a really great way of describing that back in the day of like 15 fat men going through a rotating door or something at once. I think I changed it to hippopotamuses uh, because <laughs> I didn't want to upset anyone who was large. <laughs> it was a very good explainer. Though. It, that's perfect. So everything gets squeezed and nothing gets in or out and it's a big old mess. And... Uh, there are a few better known DDoS attacks. Do you guys remember February 2020 attack reported by uh, Amazon services, AWS? Ah, uh, this was the attack on DIN, the uh, the DNS service or something, was it? No, no, DIN's another one. That was another one. Yeah, that was oh, okay. in 2016. No, this one was uh, known because at its peak, this attack saw incoming traffic at the rate of 2.3 terabits per second. Hmm. Wow. Now, I have some unreliable visual from Quora. So this poster claimed to have worked out what a terabyte in terms of Webster dictionaries. Okay. All right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So he says 100 Webster dictionaries would fill a gigabyte and 100,000 would fill a single terabyte. And assuming a dictionary is five centimeters thick... 100,000 of them would make the stack approximately five kilometers high and weigh 250 metric tons. Dictionaries, paper dictionaries. <laughs> it's, it's kind of beautiful, though. If you were to put badgers um, on top of each other, how high would that, that clump of badgers be? I to- think that would probably be about similar. Crystal clear, crystal clear, yes. Okay, I think, I think now everyone understands just that this is a big deal, is what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> And then you were mentioning the DIN attack. Do you remember it, Graham? What can you tell us about it? Uh, it was a big DDoS attack against lots of websites. Wasn't it the one which uh, exploited IoT devices? Yes. Um, right. Myri, exact. So the cameras, smart TVs, radios, printers, even baby monitors, they were compromised. And then these devices were all programmed to send requests to a single victim. Um, So all the big sites got affected, Airbnb, Netflix, PayPal, Visa, Amazon, New York Times, Reddit, GitHub, on and on and on. And basically, these type of DDoS attacks at the heart is about rendering a website or service useless, which is the exact opposite of the attacks we see today, where someone's trying to sneak in and take loads of stuff away from you that you own, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But there are occasionally motivations for taking down a website, right? Like, what motivations come to mind if I told you that earlier this week, the royal family in the UK, their website was taken down? 
Huh. Was it Harry and Meghan who did it? Was it was it them who, who attacked the royal family? <laughs> Tom Hanks was probably in on it as well. Yeah, probably. I would figure. No, no, it turned out there was a distributed denial of service attack targeted at the royal family, flooding the online service with an overflow of, well, fake users, if you want, or fake dings. And why would anyone want to do that to Ready King Charles and Plucky Camilla? Why would anyone be going to the royal family's website anyway? Can you go there now? Yeah, okay, yeah. What is? What do they have? I actually didn't even go and visit the website, which is outrageous. So it's royal.uk. Royal.uk. Okay. Which I didn't even know. Ooh. N- nice URL. It's behind Cloudflare. <gasps> Cloudflare. <laughs> yeah, I just got that too. They must have turned that on. Yes. Got on. Yeah, maybe they, can, they hit it real quick. Well, you can just turn it on if, you, if you're suffering an attack. That's true. So maybe they did that. Anyway, there's some lovely pictures there of the King and Queen Camilla. Their website's very nice and responsive. <laughs> nice yes. design. They put some money into this. <laughs> yes. Some press releases. So a state visit by the President of the Republic of Korea. Excellent. South Korea, I imagine. Excellent. Good, good. (laughs) Anything about France? France, yes. State visit to France, yes. They did a visit to France, yes. Keep that page. Keep that page. We're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. Okay. There's a picture of President Macron and his old drama teacher there. That's right. Yes. Kind of a terrifying photo of her. Anyway. So someone claimed responsibility for the attack, and they go by the name of Kill Milk. Does that ring any bells? Kill milk. Kill milk. He reportedly heads up the Kill Net group. Ah. A group that seems has pretty close ties to Russian political agendas. Okay, yep. So according to the Five Eyes Intelligent Network, that's you know, agencies in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, US, UK, they warned last year that Killnet was one of several hacker groups that had pledged to support Russia and threatened to attack anyone who attacked Russia or supported Ukraine. These are the guys that attacked the Eurovision Song Contest last year. Do you remember that? Because yes. they were in an attempt to stop Ukraine winning. Oh, yeah. That day will go down in infamy. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so why would the royal family website, royal.uk, mm. be taken down last Sunday morning? Um. Turns out, just days after King Charles condemned the invasion of Ukraine, the site was taken down. See, King Charles, in what some are calling a wholly unprecedented move, dished some strong words speaking out against Russia's invasion of Ukraine during his landmark speech in the French Senate last Thursday morning, mere days before the royal family's website was targeted. Okay. How scandalous of him to have an opinion. And to express it. He described the war as horrifying. King Charles also reported saying Ukraine must win its war and invoked the unity of Britain and de Gaulle's free French movement in the Second World War as an example of the need to stand together against unprovoked aggressions on our continent. Oh, Mm -hmm. I was like, what are you doing? Like, because I guess I'm used to the Queen's cool head. His mom had a cool head. You're the only true Brit here, Graham. What do you think? Well, I think we need to modernise the royal family. And if that what he said doesn't seem controversial to me, it seems quite legitimate. I mean, you wouldn't right. you would expect that the head of the uh, you know the, the the head of state to probably have that point of view regarding the war in Ukraine. I'd be more surprised if he went the other way. Yeah, goodness. 
You were surprised that he had an opinion or that he expressed an opinion. I was surprised that, no, no, of course I'm not surprised he has an opinion. I'm surprised that he uh, vocalized it. Yes. And I, and uh, in, the, in the way that he did. I, I guess it sets a precedent and maybe, maybe we're going to hear more outpourings of opinions from Charles in the future about other countries too. I'm reading his, I mean, maybe there was some other statement that he made, but I'm reading his speech mm-hmm. and uh, he, it's, he mentions Ukraine in, light passing it's not yeah it's not like he went on and on about it um but he did enough to upset this kelnet group so what a lame thing to do like i'm it's not even like okay yeah you ddosed a website good good job it's what is it 1997 all over again yeah big whoop the upshot is like the site was taken down for 90 minutes displaying an error message on sunday morning to those desperate to find out what people uh were up to on royal.uk which would be the first place I would go on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it's my homepage normally. Yeah. <laughs> and in a way, like you say, it's not a big deal, right? Buckingham Palace did the right thing. They got it back up and running. They told the world in a timely manner. I would have been more impressed if they'd hacked their social media. Ha- get DDoSing a website? No. Hacking the social media? Okay. Yeah. Does, does Prince Charles, or sorry, King Charles have a social media? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. They're they're Does on Twitter. He? They're, they're on, on Instagram Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. Oh, I, I don't know if they're God. doing TikTok dances yet, but give it time. <laughs> they're not twerking. Okay. Oh jeez, no. The, the I think a, think you're mixing them up with Fergie now. She's no longer a member of the royal family. <laughs> At the royal family has 13.1 million followers on Instagram. Wow, more than Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> If your SIM is causing an endless cycle of noisy alerts, manually writing generic detection rules and limited data ingestion and retention, your SOC might need an upgrade. Well, Hunters is a SaaS platform purpose-built for your security operations team. With Hunters, you can ingest and normalise as much data as you have at a predictable cost without having to compromise on visibility and retention. Automatically cross-correlate data logs from your entire security and IT stack to connect and track events throughout your organization without switching screens. And leverage out-of-the-box and always-up-to-date detections that cover 80% of security use cases. Solaris Group, a leading German fintech, they implemented Hunter's SOC platform to eliminate the burden of redundant detection engineering and manual event correlation, allowing SOC analysts to focus on higher value tasks. Visit hunters.security to learn how your SOC can move beyond SIM. That's hunters.security and thanks to Hunters for supporting the show. And we thank Devo for sponsoring the show. SOC analysts are often overworked and underappreciated. In fact, many consider leaving their jobs or changing careers altogether. Devo is hosting the third annual SOC Analyst Appreciation Day. This year's program includes presentations and discussions from some of the InfoSec community's most prolific thought leaders, including the likes of YouTube creator John Hammond, CISO Olivia Rose, and unpopular opinion guy Joss Copeland. This event will cover everything from real-life use cases to SOC automation, managing your mental well-being, and more. You won't want to miss it. 
Join Devo and other cybersecurity industry professionals on October 18th, 2023 for sessions and panels focused on de-stressing, SOC career development, and more. Visit smashingsecurity.com slash Devo to register. That's smashingsecurity.com slash Devo. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta, this message is for you. For the past few years, the majority of data breaches and hacks you read about have something in common. It's employees. Hackers absolutely love exploiting vulnerable employee devices and credentials. But imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. Here, credentials are useless to hackers, and you can manage every OS, even Linux, from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without creating more work for IT. The good news is, you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and it makes sure that if a device is not trusted or secure, it can't log in to your cloud apps. Visit collide.com slash smashing to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing. And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they like. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be. Well, I've got a question for both of you. What's the best Christmas movie of all time? Die Hard. Polar Bear Express. <laughs> Polar Bear Express. A different a different express. <laughs> Polar Bear Express. That's the porn that's the porn version, the Polar Bear Express. <laughs> <laughs> My husband's away, I miss him. <laughs> I would like to argue that the greatest Christmas movie of all time. It's a wonderful life. It's not it's a wonderful life. It is the nineteen forties oh. rom com The Shop Around the Corner with James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. I don't know if you've, have either of you ever seen it? No, I've never even heard of it. Mm, I may have. I gotta look. It's set in beautiful Budapest and they work in a shop together and they're kind of, you know, those rom coms where they don't get along at first and they're kind of having a go at each other and then they fall oh, in love the right kind. at the end. You know, those sort of yeah. rom coms yes. which are rather sweet. Well, in, in this particular one, they both have an anonymous romantic pen pal. And they and what they don't know <laughs> is the wonderful person who they're chatting to oh, is the other person. So they're actually secretly now. It is a great movie and a wonderful thing, and it has only ever been tarnished by one thing, which is my nitpick of the week, because I was recently required to watch a Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> it all comes out now. All right. It all comes out. Called You've Got Mail. Oh, for fuck's sake. Really? And You've Got Mail. How can you... Isn't that Nora Ephron? Yeah, Nora Ephron, that's right. She did Harry Met Sally. We yeah. love that one. Um, You've Got Mail is loosely based on the shop around the corner. In fact, Meg Ryan's shop in You've Got Mail is called the shop around the corner. Can I tell all of you, go and watch the shop around the corner from the 1940s, which is wonderful and doesn't have Tom Hanks in it. Because it is a great, great thing. So my pick of the week is the shop around the corner. 
which is a wonderful movie, my nitpick is this constant <laughs> remaking of perfectly good movies and producing inferior versions. <laughs> I love that this explains your Tom Hanks animosity. This is great. Came full circle. Maria, what's your pick of the week? Okay, I'm going to do... Okay, I'm going to start with my nitpick. Oh, <laughs> we're hello. going back to naked security again. <laughs> Last week we were chatting about it, yes. A bunch of names were mentioned, and I was not one of them. And I felt sad, so... <laughs> hey, Maria was a very important part of naked security. I was not. I just was a small part of it, but I was part of it. I was very unimportant, to be clear. <laughs> um, but <laughs> there were a lot of us who worked on it, but I was like... Uh, uh. I'm right. sorry. All good. I've I've done my drama for my pick of the week is something very geeky nerdy because I am in the throes of Halloween season. Oh yeah. <laughs> my kid wants to be the light dragon from Tears of the Kingdom. Which <laughs> was like, you want to be what for Halloween? Um Oh, for the, the from the Zelda game. From the Zelda the new Zelda game. Yeah, she's obsessed yeah. with that light dragon and the light dragon uh glows as the name might imply it there are lights so i have been learning how to incorporate leds into costuming for <laughs> this costume that i'm making and this website i came across to buy the leds is called evandesigns.com and it is very old school in a way that i love and that it's a little niche part of the internet for hobbyists and it's full of like a lot of good hobbyist information like exactly what you need like how do i build this thing or how if I, i'm trying to i don't even know what i don't know can you please walk me through it like a top to bottom guide oh wow and it's very competently done and and it's it's meant for people who do like hobby trains like train sets but he's got a bunch of stuff for people who do costuming and for someone like me who is you know i have a very basic understanding of circuitry but like very basic but even i'm i was reading through this i'm like i can definitely handle making you know a string of leds something like this thanks to his help so i'm just giving a shout out to that evan evandesigns.com because i really appreciate their help. cool so, there you go. we need pictures <laughs> they've got some very cool looking stuff here like they've got for just 15 dollars the equipment you can I imagine put it on your car or maybe on your toy car to give it a Knight Rider style LED. <laughs> I should do that on my yes, car. That'll that look amazing. Look <laughs> and if you want to light up your TARDIS, they have a kit for that as well. <gasps> yes. No. Yes, they do. <laughs> and they have like Geiger counter sounds and um, yeah. All sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all your LED needs are at Evan Designs, but they also have a lot of resources on how to actually make the stuff work in the way you want it to, which is nice to see that people are still sharing that information. And it's not video, it's written. God bless it. <laughs> like, I can just read it. Beautiful. <laughs> Crow, what's your pick of the week? So mine's a book uh, that I've experienced, right? I love a good whodunit. It's like I was looking and someone said, described a whodunit as a book full of manners and intrigue. And I love that. That's kind of true. It's like your Sherlock Holmes kind of thing. And it's mm. rare that you get a good one. So often they can just be a bit predictable and maybe it's great for like new readers to the genre. But if you've been around the detective block a lot, it's hard to be surprised. So my pick of the week is a book I'm enjoying called The Eight Detectives by Alex Pavesi, P-A-V-E-S-I. And I'll quote The Guardian here because they say it so well. 
So it is a set of seven Golden Age-style mysteries where an abundance of brutal slayings in genteel surroundings are rendered in a heightened pastiche of the form. Okay. So in my terms, rollicking fun read. (laughs) And it's surprising how the attacks transpire. Like there's this one scene where a victim is killed with a detachable tine from a fork. Oh. Right? Crazy. So all kinds of cute things. And even better, they're all of these short stories, these seven short stories are nestled within a greater narrative where you have this fictitious author, Grant McAllister, and he's discussing his own set of detective rules for how you write a detective story with an editor. And this leads to the eighth murder mystery, which I'm getting to this evening. If it sounds like your thing, it's great. I, I'm enjoying it a lot. Eight Detectives, a novel by Alex Pavisi. Uh, And that is my pick of the week. No nitpicks. Very good. Well done on no nitpicks. Nope. Not a single nitpick. Nope. Everything's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Carol, you've been having fun this week chatting to the guys from Devo. Yes, I spoke with Kayla Williams, Devo's very own CISO, and we talk about Sock Analyst Appreciation Day. This is where you'll be appreciated, guys. Listen up. Listeners, today on Smashing Security, I am chatting about all things SOC with security analytics platform Devo's very own CISO, or I should give the whole title, Chief Information Security Officer, Kayla Williams. Very warm welcome to you, Kayla. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) Cool. Now, Devo Technology is a cloud-native platform designed to defend all the nasty stuff out there. But more than that, the Devo team are the people behind the SOC Analyst Appreciation Day. But we're going to get to that in a second. First, Kayla, I would love if you could tell us a little bit about you, your background, and maybe how you ended up at Devo as their CISO. Yeah. Wow. Where to start? So uh, I'm Kayla Williams. I have been the CISO here at Devo for a little over a year and a half now. Uh, The way I got here is a very... Curvy road, if you will. I wouldn't say bumpy. I'll say curvy because I am not a traditional technologically uh, sound CISO. I am what I like to call a GRC CISO because that is my background. As we all know, the laws and regulations and the privacy, technical privacy landscape, everything is changing so rapidly. And really GRC or governance risk and compliance is the foothold of a security program because they're able to easily pivot. So my background, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in uh, accounting, (laughs) went on. (laughs) That's good. You got to know your numbers. Yeah. I went on to become an external auditor and I hated it after a while, (laughs) which I'm sure many of you who are listening have worked with auditors before and you're like, oh my God, they're driving me crazy. Try being one. (laughs) (laughs) So I did that for a couple of years because my track in my mind was I was going to get my CPA, Certified Public Accountant um, Certification, and then move on to being a CFO eventually. And since I didn't like it, I decided to move out of that field into the wildly different field of internal auditing. <laughs> and I worked at a financial uh, services company for eight years. And in that time, I was an internal auditor for three years and then moved into security because they were looking for folks who understood process. And that's something that auditors do very well. You give credit where credit's due. Yes. 
I was able to come in and understand process and the risks associated with if a process goes wrong. And I, I was in that company for five years, moving into various roles, doing security consultancy, security program management. The team acquired the enterprise risk management team, and it became a CISRO or Information Security and Risk Officer organization. So then I moved into uh, an enterprise risk management role for North America and after that, I was like, well, there's really nowhere else for me to go here. So I moved over into a director of GRC role at LogMeIn, which is now GoTo. So GoToMeeting, GoToConnect. Uh, they used to have LastPass, that, that company there. And I, I did did that for three years. And um, it was great. There was 20... At the time, there were 23 SaaS products in the portfolio. And that gave me SaaS experience because all the teams were doing it doing something different, right? The CI city pipeline was different. The the processes were different. The output was different. Yeah. I ended up at Devo because our chief operating officer uh, locked me in, came over to Devo as the uh, CEO. And I ended up following him here. Uh-huh. That is a really interesting background though to a CISO. I don't think I've heard anything similar and I can see how those building blocks would help you be such a great asset because you understand risk, you understand process and you understand security. I wondered if you could help me understand the role of a security operations analyst, because we use this term SOC, right? SOC analysts. And just for some of our listeners, I know most of them totally know what this is, but there's going to be some of them that are going to really appreciate an explanation from you. Like, what's in their day-to-day? What are they responsible for? You know, it's very much like all the other roles in security. The SOC analyst role can vary depending on the organization or the the industry that you're in. However, you know, the day to day is really, you know, logging in and checking for any potential incidents or events that anomalies, if you will, that you're not expecting to see. And then investigating that each company has their own risk that they're willing to take. You have to take risk to just to, just to have a company going, right? So um, every company is going to be a little bit different. But logging in to your seam, uh, which I hope it's Devo, uh, and, and seeing what's happening, what's been triaged or not triaged yet, and, and then doing your investigations. Unfortunately, there is a lot of monotony there, for, especially for the the level one hmm. uh, SOC analysts who come in. Typically, the the ones that are moving into the field for the first time, that are in school or have just graduated, and want to get their hands dirty with security. Security, you're going to be going through a lot of your alerts, looking to see for any potential indicators of compromise or IOCs, and kicking off your own, I would call like a mini investigation on your own before you escalate it up your chain of command to say, okay, I've now identified something. And that, that I think, is exciting. When you identify something, I mean, it's not always... Hmm. Great when you identify something, but for the like for, for the company, I mean, but for the individual, that's that's exciting. It's like, hey, I, I'm noticing something that's this is an anomaly. This pattern isn't, you know, it's not following patterns. There's maybe you know maybe some user behavior that isn't expected. Or one of my favorites that I hear a lot about is like the impossible traveler. Like Kayla logged into Boston. She lives in Boston. That makes sense. But all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, she's logging in from. Yeah, Alaska. You're spotting anomalies. It's almost needle in the haystack work. But when you find that needle, it can be really glorious for the person because, you know, you've done your job. Exactly. And, and that gratification um, of actually finding something and then also helping, helping your organization to reduce its its risk 
and, and that's really where I feel um, this the SOC analyst is underappreciated, which will will come into the the day that that Devo has to celebrate them. But this this team, the SOC team, is mm. really your first line of defense. They're your eyes on glass. They are seeing things that it's coming in and out of your environment with with precision and, and accuracy. Mm. And our mistakes made sure, but mistakes are made in every role. Things do get mm. by. But but they're really like the unsung heroes of your corporate defenses and, and having those folks understand the business, understand what's normal, what's not normal, expected, unexpected, however you want to phrase it, really arms them with the knowledge to reduce your risk profile. They are essentially preventing financial loss, reputational risk, uh, regulatory risk, uh, obviously information security risk as well. Like the branding piece and the reputational risk is something that's often discounted and and that's where people say, oh, security is a cost center. Absolutely not. And maybe I'm the only one that feels that way, but no, security is not a cost center. They're saving your brand. They're saving your customers, like saving face, if you will. Listeners are going, we're with you, Kayla. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, when, when the renewals come up or when new prospects are asking about your defenses, that's your sock. Number one is your SOC. And, yeah. and yes, we are a very expensive team to have, but balance that with your brand that you're protecting, whether it's a multi-million, billion dollar brand, it's well worth the cost to keep that going. But, you know, ultimately, this isn't an easy job, though. Oh, uh, no, absolutely not. And because of <laughs> coming into this role here and now having the, the SOC Analyst Appreciation Day, I'm very much aware of how little in the past where where I've worked, it's been acknowledged because it is you're always on. There's always alerts, there's flooding of alerts, like the monotony of having to go through them and make sure that they're, you know, if they're false positive, marking them as that, opening an investigation, um, writing rule sets to make sure that, you know, if you're seeing patterns that are all false positives, making sure that those are, you know, marked as such and, and removed from your processes. And it's just, constant bombardment of of noise. So tell me a little bit about the upcoming third annual SOC Analyst Appreciation Day. So we are hosting it um, SOCAnalystDay.com. If you have not registered, it's October 18th. Please do. Even if you are not in the SOC and you were just thinking about coming into security, it is uh, a fantastic way to learn about the field. Because I think something that's often overlooked is people are like, yeah, I want to get into security. There's there's a lot of jobs there. You have to be mentally tough to be in this field. I think we all deserve credit for that. The uh, Yeah, the event is our third year, as you mentioned. From year one to year two, we nearly doubled the number of people that attended. So this year, we're hoping to have another record-breaking event. It is all online. Um but it's it is all day. So there you can come in, you can, you know, obviously being in a sock, you probably have to have eyes on screen. You can listen to it in the background. You will hear my voice, unfortunately or fortunately. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great radio voice. I think they're gonna be in heaven. But it's it's a wonderful event. Uh, this is my second year co-hosting it. Um, I'm, I'll actually be in the studio recording all day. 
Um, but I do have a event that I'm co-hosting, um, like the, the the full event all day, but moderating a panel for there's a seat for everyone in cyber that will touch upon what you and I had just discussed a few moments ago around complementary skill sets and being able to transfer people in from other fields because that non-traditional background that I have has really opened up my eyes to how many other people could be in this field, but maybe lack a cybersecurity degree or engineering background. And it's it's certainly a way to address some of the shortages that we're seeing across the board. Absolutely. And it also gives people out there that maybe are feeling stuck in a rut. Maybe you're in accountancy and you're thinking, this isn't for me. And you might find that cybersecurity desperately needs your risk assessing and your number crunching, right? We need all those skills. I couldn't agree with you more. And I actually um, spoke at Blue Team Con in Chicago about a month ago on the non-traditional paths into security. And I did a, a segment on those complementary skill sets where I put them up on a on the screen and was drawing arrows between, you know, uh, being an accountant and what kind of skill set that is. So having the attention to detail, being able to quickly analyze two sets of data and, and having the... Um, the wherewithal to see those those discrepancies that might be there, those patterns that have changed. And um, my favorite story is, and I, I talked about it at the event, um, a friend of mine hired a former bus driver as an incident response manager because he, this individual was used to having to write reports, being very detailed, uh, and also de-escalating situations. Another session that is extremely important to me is the mental health session that uh, Peter will be running from CyberMinds. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Peter at um, RSA in a black hat. Um, he came over from Australia, did his US launch back at RSA, and CyberMinds is amazing. They have a program that is for cybersecurity professionals like all of us, and they come in and they teach you how to deal with stress because. We have more stress than some people that were on the front lines during the pandemic in our day-to-day. And 77% of the survey respondents that, that Devo did with uh, Wakefield Research have said that their stress levels at work directly affect their ability to keep customer data safe. They're, they're making mistakes. They're not seeing things. They are so stressed out because they're so afraid they're going to make a mistake, that anxiety. And as someone who has anxiety, and I talk about it openly, like I do mm-hmm. take anxiety medication. It is certainly a session that I, I highly encourage folks to attend. That That's with CyberMinds, one word with a Z at the end. Um, and then, of course, uh, John Hammond uh, has sock hacks. So, so John mm. is on my television screen on my YouTube every time I turn it on. That's my husband's like, who is this guy? I'm like, oh, that's John. <laughs> and, this is, and this is free to attend, right? So yes. Absolutely. October 18th, 2023. And this is the SOC Analyst Appreciation Day brought to you by Devo and hosted by our very own Kayla Williams. Yes. Very much <laughs> looking forward to it. And I hope everyone can register. Please do. Like we said, it's free all day. You can have it on in the background and, um, you know, get, get some appreciation, much deserved and much needed SOC Analyst Appreciation. 
if anything ever sounded like a mental health day, this does, because you're going to get all the love that you need. Now, if you guys want to register, this is where you go. SmashingSecurity.com slash Devo. That's D-E-V-O. So SmashingSecurity.com slash Devo. And is there anything else you'd like to add, Kayla, before we wrap up? No, I think this covers everything. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure and such a great time talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and for talking to us all. It's been amazing. And I think think, uh, we're going to get lots of signups. Right, listeners? super stuff and that just about wraps up the show for this week maria i'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online what's the best way for folks to do that well if you want to hear my voice in your ear holes every day and i'm sure of course you do of course you do uh my very own show uh it is called t-minus space daily we talk about space all things space space industry commercial space all the good stuff um and a little bit of space cybersecurity too so you find it wherever fine podcasts are pervade or at space.n2k.com and i'm also at mvarmazis on twitter and at varmazis on uh, mastodon.social mstdn.social super duper and you can still follow us on twitter at smash insecurity no g twitter and last have a g and we have a mastodon account as well look for us up there and don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode follow smash insecurity in your favorite podcast apps such as apple Podcasts, spotify and overcast and huge huge thank you to this episode's sponsors devo hunters and collide and of course to our wonderful patreon community thanks to them all that this show is free for episode show notes sponsorship info guest lists and the entire back catalog of more than 341 episodes check out smashingsecurity.com until next time cheerio bye 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 I might have given Tom Hanks a bit of a hard time. It was perhaps a little... You definitely did. You did. You did. Do you think? You ate his guts. I just... <laughs> I, I, I did see one movie I liked Tom Hanks in. Well, other than Toy Story. Toy Story's all right, but... Um, you didn't like Castaway or anything like that? I, I can't watch it because it's got Tom Hanks in it. I saw um, the movie... <laughs> That's a tautology, though. Yeah. I saw the movie The Post, which I thought was really good. And it was only three quarters of the way through when I realised one of the actors was Tom Hanks. And I thought, oh, this is actually all right. So maybe it's only when I recognise Tom Hanks that I've got a problem. Forrest Gump? Never watched it. It's got Tom Hanks in it. Yeah. <laughs>